0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's national women's current affairs programs produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Marie Noor. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nations. We acknowledge sovereignty has never ceded, treaties are yet to be signed, and pay respects to Elders past, present and becoming. Today we hear two great interviews from 3CR broadcasters Giselle Hanna and Hope Mathumble. First, Giselle speaks with Catherine Barrett about the Holding Hands on Trams campaign, which commemorates an incident in the late 1970s where two women were arrested for holding hands on a tram. She also gives us an insight into some of the experiences of older LGBTI people she works with. Later, we hear an excerpt of an interview between Hope from Tuesday Breakfast here on 3CR and Dr Kudzai Kanutu about hepatitis prevention and treatment and how it impacts culturally diverse communities as well as Indigenous communities here in Australia. But first, he's Catherine Barrett on the incident from the 1970s.
1: Well, the thing is, we don't know a lot about the incident, but we do know that um, from uh, legal records that uh, that this did actually take place, that two women were convicted uh, of offensive behaviour for so holding hands on a tram somewhere between the end of um, 1976 and early 77. And one of the, the reasons that this is a particularly important story is because it really highlights that LGBTI histories aren't collective. You know, I think that we often uh, refer to LGBTI histories as though everybody had, had the same historical experiences, but in fact, in this case, what we want to raise awareness of is the fact that for older lesbians, um, lesbophobia was really quite different to homophobia because Sexism was part of it as well, too, and I tell the story or some of the older lesbians that I'm working with tell the story of, you know, the two women couldn't get a bank loan without a male guarantor. Um, and so the experiences of, uh, for older lesbians or what we refer to as lesb- lesbophobia is, is, is a kind of a phobia about, say, sex attraction, but it's also sexism thrown in. So we're trying to raise awareness of lesbians' historical experiences and lesbophobia in particular. And, and I think, Giselle, you called it a spectacular campaign. And I think one of the things about the story of the two women holding hands on trams is it, is it sort of captured people's imagination. I think particularly for people who catch a tram or who catch public transport, who hear this story, and it quite incredulous that two women would have been convicted just for holding hands and it's a really important reminder of of our history and what we wanted to do with the campaign was kind of capture people's interest and engage them in understanding History, so it's a, it's, a, it's an incredibly important campaign.
2: I'm really interested in this distinction that you've raised between lesbophobia and homophobia, because I, I think there have been so many developments in the um, anti-homophobia space and and in the queer community, and I you know I think those advances are excellent, but I'm not sure that the specific um, the, the specific oppressions or experiences of women in the broader queer community are are looked at in any detail and when you talked about the differences i think you were placing that in a, a in an historical context and i wonder if you think the differences between lesbophobia and homophobia are still pertinent to discuss today well,
1: look i think i think absolutely they are i mean william faulkner said history is not dead it is not even past and 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 in the work that i do with lgbti elders i see the legacies of history everywhere and i've been just doing some work today on lgbti elders and a sense of entitlement you know there's not that same sense of entitlement today for older older lgbti people that there is for younger LGBTI people and that's a legacy of history. But see the legacies of history as well too with the debates in federal parliament or the debates about same-sex marriage. You know, we need to understand the homophobic or the lesbophobic responses and the transphobic responses as they are legacies of history. You know, there are, still, there are still people today who think that being LGBTI is a badness and a madness. And that's because historically at some point you know they were declared to be such and so history is still here with us today and I think by understanding that history we can understand that we have it with us in the room wherever we are and and I think it's really incredibly important to to acknowledge that not just for people who have contact with older folk but for those who are working in services for people who have family members who are older LGBTI and also, too, for people in the broader community, like you know, if we're having a debate about same-sex marriage, for example, and you're hearing you know homophobic or transphobic or lesbophobic comments, we need to understand where they came from. And when we do that, I think that that helps us to let go and, and actually go, well, being a lesbian is, is not a madness or a badness. And we, we actually stopped thinking that way in the 70s. So can we please just let go of that? Um, and so I think that that, that history tells us that, uh, something about what we need to do to do today. Yes, I think it is incredibly relevant.
2: It's um, it's actually the case that lesbian women, ageing lesbian women, are among the poorest members of society. Not the poorest, obviously. There are lots of different. Um, categories of people that face oppression but you know you're talking about some historical legacies things like the amount of money women were able to save in superannuation for example are contributing factors to ageing lesbians poverty is that an issue that Alice's Garage picks up and and how do you support ageing lesbians um in relation to uh social poverty
1: well, it's a really good question. So, one of the projects that Alice's Garage uh, is running is a project called the Tango Project, and we are working with LGBTI elders to document their experiences of abuse or discrimination and the difficulties difficulties they face on the basis of their LGBTI identities. And so, there are a range of issues that are coming up through that, uh, and and we're about we're about um, ten months into that. Project, and I think one of the things that's really interesting about working with LGBTI elders, I think, if I can generalise for a moment, there isn't a sense of entitlement, and so the the people, the LGBTI elders that I work with, when you say to them, you know, what is it that we need to do, and often people will say to me, we need to make it better for younger LGBTI people, and you know, make sure that it's okay for them, and um, the, the work our Tango Project is doing is really getting. LGBTI elders to think about that it's okay to say uh, what are the difficulties that you are experiencing and what is it that you need. Um, So that's the vehicle for identifying the issues. And at the moment, probably one of the really common issues that's coming up other than LGBTI um, phobia in services is the issue for LGBTI elders with their families of origin. And that's particularly the case for people who are coming out or transitioning late, that they have adult children who take exception to them forming same-sex relationships or transitioning. Uh, And that's fine while an older LGBTI person's autonomous and able to make uh, decisions on their behalf. But if they become ill or have a disability or become reliant on their family members or service providers, what people are telling us is that um, family members in particular are stepping in and going, well, you know what, I don't actually like the fact that you've got a same-sex partner, and I don't acknowledge that relationship, or I don't acknowledge um, this gender that you're now telling me um, that 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 you have, uh, and actually restricting gender expression or not acknowledging same-sex partners, and that that may sound trivial to some listening to this program, but it is. I can tell you, it it has most devastating consequences. For two reasons and one of them is that if you've got family members that you are reliant on and they say I do not recognize your relationship and you've got somebody who's dependent on their on their children or, or wanting to have contact with their, their children it puts them in a really difficult position and puts a real tension um, between their, them and their partner uh, and their relationships with their adult children and if you've got somebody who's as was the case we had to speak to a number of people in some research I've been involved in previously where they were caring for a same-sex partner who had dementia uh, and their partner's adult children had never approved of their mother becoming a lesbian Uh, and when their mum developed dementia they applied for uh, financial power of attorney and medical power of attorney and and tried to Take over control of their mother's life because they did not recognise their mother's uh, sexuality or her same-sex partner, and so there are a number of issues uh, in, you know that LGBTI people face. But thinking about lesbians in particular, uh, there really are you know quite particular issues. And I guess one another one that that um, that people have raised with me historically was because. Being a lesbian was considered a madness and a badness that a number of older lesbians that I've spoken to who had children and then recognised a same-sex attraction and formed a same-sex relationship were then uh, deemed to be unfit mothers, so um, had difficulty getting access to their children. Uh, and so that's a hell of a price to pay for, you know, for for being a lesbian, really. Women's on a line.
3: Oh, that was- Women on the line. Women on
2: the line. So, returning to the project that we're talking about today, which is the Hold Hands on the Tram campaign, you're actually calling on uh, supporters and um, all of those that uh, have, in fact, been discriminated against on the basis of their lesbianism to actually ride trams and hold hands on a particular day. When is the day, though? I haven't been able to find that anywhere.
1: Uh, so it's up on the website. If people go to the Alice's Garage website, they'll see it um, up on the Alice's Garage website. Um, and... Uh, I think it's the 11th of October. I should have had that in front of me. So they'll see that up on the Alice's Garage webpage. page. Um, but there's, there are... Yes, it's Wednesday the 11th of October. And so there are four aspects to the campaign. One of the the first things that we're inviting people to do between now and the event in October is we are inviting women to hold hands in a public or a private place, take a photo and... Um, put it up on social media with the, with the hashtag Women Holding Hands. And what we're doing as part of that is um, inviting, is, is trying to create awareness of the campaign. But one of the really interesting things, Judelle, about that campaign to date is that myself and a number of other people who've been taking photos in public with two women holding hands, we've said that we've become really conscious of the way people have stared at us while we're holding hands. And I think that, for me... Is an indication that you know we're not there in terms yet in terms of embracing um, same-sex relationships there really is you know and I'd invite any of your listeners to go out there and uh, hold you know two women go out there and hold hands in public and and have a look at the response you get so that's the first part of the campaign the second part uh, we are inviting people to talk to older lesbians about their historical experiences not just of the lesbophobia but in particular um, of their resistance because we really want to celebrate the resistance the fact that that women did something to get through these extraordinary experiences of of lesbophobia um, and we particularly encourage younger middle-aged and mature age lesbians to go out and talk to an older lesbian but somebody rang us the other day and said you know that they wanted to interview it was a uh, a young heterosexual man wanted to interview um his lesbian aunt and we said that would be wonderful because if if we had the whole community going out and talking to older lesbians and, and building an understanding, that would be a really uh, wonderful thing to achieve. So the stories are the second part of it. And then one of the other parts is the archival material. We're inviting people, if they've got any archival material relating to uh, lesbians' experiences and lesbophobia in particular, we'd love that to be shared with us. And we're working with the Lesbian and Gay Archives, they're going to be sharing some material with us as well. Uh, And then of course, the um, holding hands on a tram for Seniors Festival, Uh, we have a group of lesbian elders and we're going to board a tram from the CBD. Um, We've got fabulous photographer, Lisa White, the social photographer with us. She'll take a series of photos of the older lesbians holding hands on a tram. And I think those photos really help Um, you know, when we put those out in social media, they really help people to sort of, you know, to get a felt sense. If they can't be there, to get a felt sense of what it was like to be there. And then the tram will travel uh, to the city of Port Phillip, which is the home of the new Pride Centre, and and there'll be a a reception uh, for the Lesbian Elders there. So we're inviting... um, Lesbians, in particular, on the 11th, to, to join us and to hold hands on the tram and be part of that tram ride.
2: Well, actually, as you were speaking, and what I've been thinking of since I um, started looking into this campaign and certainly preparing to speak with you today is, you know, the I guess the thanks that well many of us young queers owe to um, the women that have been contributing their stories and participating in this campaign for there for the struggle for the resistance that actually shifted society to what it looks like today the fact that we can have such massive massive demonstrations for marriage equality when once upon a time and certainly the women that are involved in this project were fighting for just the right to be visible or just the right to hold hands on public transport and I I wonder if the women that are involved in this and that you're speaking to are actually aware of the impact that they've had on the world and the safer space they've created for younger people.
1: Yeah, look, I think, I think Gisalia, absolutely on the money with that. We do owe uh, a debt of gratitude because um, the older lesbians I've spoken to, I mean, some of them, you know, don't put up with any rot and never have. Uh, and haven't been discriminated against, but I think they're really small in number. Most of the older lesbians I've spoken to uh, have really uh, had a tough time in terms of, of the responses from their families at an early age. You know, they've lost jobs. People have had shock therapy. They've, you know, been driven out of town. You know, they've, you know, haven't had access to their kids, really struggled financially. Uh, and mentally as a result of um, the responses of the community to to them. So I think, um, you know, I've spoken to some of the, you know, Jean Taylor and some of the lesbian historians that there are around the place, and they're really pleased that, at the prospect of, of the community being interested in their histories. And and I think that that's one way of, of um, giving thanks and, and um, being respectful is is to actually say, that we want to know and, and we, we take so much for granted. We are so much, um, you know, I've, I've been working with LGBTI elders for 10 years and the changes in 10 years are really quite extraordinary and we're not there yet, but one of the lovely things about being in, in um, a, an LGBTI person in Victoria is that this year for Seniors Festival, there are 10 LGBTI events which is really quite remarkable. And I think for us to have this, uh, you know, hold hands on a tram as part of Victorian Seniors Festival is incredibly important because because it says to LGBTI communities, older people are here. And it says to people that, that you know, the, the hundreds of thousands of people that are interested in Seniors Festival, it says LGBTI people are here. And so that's one of the things that I really love about this campaign, that it is part of Seniors Festival because it says... The government supports this which is incredibly important but we celebrate seniors and the contributions that they've that they've made and we recognize uh, LGBTI people as part of seniors which is incredibly important so you know I feel like this is a real milestone and the response to date, to um, you know, the hashtag #women women holding hands and people's excitement about this project has been really quite heartwarming.
2: Well, if there are listeners out there that want to contribute their stories or their archival materials or photos or any of that, how can they how can they participate?
1: Uh, if they go to the project webpage alice'sgarage.net and go to the tram page. Uh, you'll see all the details there. and yeah, we'd we'd love to hear your stories. Um, we'd love to see your archival material. and being able to I mean with scanning with scanning now, you you know you don't have to people don't have to let go of their copies of archival material. they can send us a copy, uh, which is fantastic. And uh, if you're on social media, please you know sh- share the hashtag, send us a photo of two women holding hands and support the campaign. we'd love it.
0: On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. Go to 3cr.org.au slash line for more information. Don't forget you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. That was Catherine Barrett in conversation with 3CR's Giselle Hanna about how to get involved with the Holding Hands on the Tram campaign. Now we hear an interview by Hope Mathambu from 3CR's Tuesday Breakfast with Dr Kudzai Kanutu about her hepatitis prevention and treatment and how it impacts culturally diverse and Indigenous communities.
3: With me on the line, I have Dr. Kudzai Kanhutu, refugee health fellow at the Victorian Infectious Diseases Service at Royal Melbourne Hospital and member of the Victorian African Health Action Network, or VAHAN. Can you tell us a bit about um, uh, who you are and the work that you do? Ah, uh,
4: Sure. Um, so my role is I'm the refugee health fellow and I'm also an infectious diseases physician. So that's based out of the hospital. Um, and the scope of the role has really transformed over the years since the refugee health program was first established. So um, at the moment I do clinical care. So that involves seeing refugee and migrant uh, people through the clinic that we run at the hospital and also through co-health in Footscray. We also have a research arm of the program where we, and at the moment we're doing research into telehealth and uh, home housing situations or the impact of housing on health outcomes. And we also do a lot of advocacy through the Victorian Refugee Health Network. And the final pillar is uh, workforce capacity building. So one of the programs I'm involved in is um, with the primary health networks and that outreach to GP practices to talk to people about health matters affecting refugees and in particular, obviously my clinical background, uh, looking into viral hepatitis, HIV, TB and those conditions that are more prevalent in some of our refugee and migrant groups.
3: Yeah. And uh, liver cancer is the fastest growing cause of cancer deaths. How does hepatitis specifically contribute to this?
4: Well, when somebody has chronic hepatitis, and I think that the statistics are actually quite shocking worldwide. So it. At the moment, we know that it's the seventh leading seventh cause of mortality worldwide for so chronic viral hepatitis, and what happens when a person has chronic hepatitis is they may not be aware, and in Australia about over fifty percent of people will not actually know that they have viral hepatitis and over time the chronic infection actually damages the liver and when the liver becomes scarred, which is known as cirrhosis, it actually puts it in a position where it's really at risk of developing tumours because it's no longer able to protect itself and regenerate in a normal way. So it's that process of chronic damage and attack from what is, can be for many people a very silent illness so they're not aware it's going on and then over time it ends up resulting in uh, cancer.
3: It should also be mentioned that, as well as people from, you know, from from migrant and refugee backgrounds, um, you know, uh, Aboriginal and and First Nations Indigenous people are also disproportionately affected by hepatitis B and C. So this is all all of these messages are just as important for for our First Nations listeners as well um, to to keep on top of it and to and to get tested.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that with both of the viruses, they're very old viruses as yeah. much as they are they are new to our consciousness. They're actually very old viruses that have been circulating in the human population for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So um, there's a, there has actually been a lot of research done in Australia by um, some of our colleagues, some of them in Melbourne and in Northern Territory, looking at where hepatitis B came from, how it's landed in, in amongst, you know, human populations. So um, there's a long history there and, you know... He, and as much as there's a long history with our indigenous and our First Nations people, um there are lots of issues that affect them that are, and and again, hepatitis B and C is one of them. And yeah, we'd really love to see both refugee, migrant and our first Nations people um, become aware and get get empowered to get out there and get tested. Get treated and stay well and healthy.
3: Yeah, no, you're, you're definitely right. I'm I, the the history of, of hepatitis B as a, as a virus is, is a very interesting one. Um, where can people go to find out more information about uh, viral chronic um, hepatitis and and where they can get more information if they feel like themselves or maybe a family member or a loved one um, may be living with either uh, Hep B or C.
4: Look, a really fantastic one-stop shop would be the Hepatitis Victoria website, which is www.hepvic.org.au. And that's fantastic in terms of it has links to other relevant websites and, you know, information pitched at different levels. So from people who are just curious to know more through to health professionals, and, and they obviously provide... Um, education and a, a number of resources as well that have, and many of them are free of charge, which is a key thing. And I really encourage people to also Google um, the Hepatitis B story, which is an educational resource um, for patients and consumers that was put together in a very low English literacy low literacy format. so it's very visual and it's been translated into a number of languages. So you can actually even watch some videos as well that go through what is chronic hepatitis. Um, B in this case, and what are the steps that you can take to, um, to get tested and, and communicate some of the key issues around breaking down a lot of the stigma and discrimination that goes with um, viral hepatitis.
0: You just heard from Dr Kudzai Kanutu ending on some resources for people to learn about hepatitis and breaking down the stigmas about viral hepatitis. Women on the Line is one of Community Radio's national women's current affairs programs, is produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email at womenontheline at gmail.com. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au slash women on the line. The theme music for today's episode of Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La And the feature song for today is Cruel Charlie by the amazing Esther. Thank you so much for listening to Women on the Line this week. I'm Erit Nord, and I hope you can tune in again next time.